Sunday is Charter Day in Pennsylvania, a day to commemorate the state's founding and to celebrate the 1681 charter that created the colony at that point. The charter itself will be on display at the State Museum in Harrisburg, and a number of state historic sites will be free to visit. With us today are Andrea Lowry, Executive Director of the Pennsylvania Historical and Museum Commission, and State Archivist David Carmichael. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. Is it snowing outside? I, could get, I can't tell. <laughs> just, just a spot. <laughs> really? You know, I, I bring that up because we've had so little snow this year that with the word snow in the forecast, and then you don't see any. It's like, oh, it's the winter. Okay, I, I digress. Let me get back to uh, some history. Andrea Lowry, what is Charter Day? So Charter Day is our celebration of the founding of Pennsylvania, and we bring out, as you mentioned, uh, the the Pennsylvania Charter to William Penn from Charles II. Mm-hmm. So what activities are there surrounding Charter Day? So we will be bringing out the Charter at the State Museum of Pennsylvania here in Harrisburg, um, and we will be having a few remarks about it to open the day ceremonially, and then uh, offering tours of the Charter. Uh, our state archivist and his staff will be talking about uh many of the fascinating elements of the charter um, and walking people through it and what it means and why it's important. We also have uh, a number of activities uh, slated for kids. We open at noon and we'll be having um, uh, tours of certain galleries. We have a civil rights exhibit, which is our most recent exhibit, A Place for All, which opened recently. Um, And Dr. Kurt Miner will be leading a tour of that at 2. That is a, a fascinating exhibit about integration above, above the Mason, Mason-Dixon line here in Pennsylvania. We also have activities for kids. We're uh, having a session on quill writing in Nature Lab. We are having uh, discussions about our William Penn statue and William Penn in Memorial Hall and the Mastodon from Marshall's Creek upstairs and uh, activities in Mammal Hall as well. So we're looking forward to a fun day. Mm. That's quite a juxtaposition, uh, William Penn and the Mastodon. Uh, but <laughs> seen both of them in the, in the, in, in the museum. You know, I'm, I'm curious. Um, history seems to be one of those things that uh, there there is so much emphasis in schools in particular on, you know, the three R's, as they used to be called. But there seems to be... I don't know, in recent years, at least people saying we need to get more civics education included as part of that, social studies and history. The kids that come through the museum go to these historic sites. Do they know Pennsylvania history? I think they know elements of it. Certainly, uh, fourth grade is a popular year for us to see. Really? Yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, Students coming through uh, the museum and our sites. I think uh, certainly civics uh, civics is one of the subjects that really has been, I think, left behind. They may know Pennsylvania stories, but I think connecting them to um, to everyday life and making making those connections is really vital. And I think uh, certainly civics education is one of those things that across the history field, there's a great deal of uh, desire to see that strengthened. Why is it important? I mean, you just kind of touched on it, but why is it important that not just young people, but even adults learn their history, learn their Pennsylvania history? Um, I I think it gives us context for today. I mean, you can't understand where you are if you don't know where you've been. Um, We definitely see history as an opportunity to help people place themselves within Pennsylvania, uh, within um, the, the, the 
arc of the narrative and figure out where they want to go. And history is a tool to help them do that. I have to say that uh, you know, as a Pennsylvanian and someone who has been interested in Pennsylvania history from the time I was in elementary school, it makes me proud to be a Pennsylvanian once you learn that history. I mean, there are the biggies, the uh, Declaration of Independence, the Constitutional Convention, Gettysburg, all those things. But there's so many other parts of Pennsylvania history. And I think that, uh, you know, again, me being a history nerd, love seeing the, uh, you know, the, the roadside markers. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can learn so much, and so many of them are online nowadays. So I won't say you don't have to travel. I kind of like it's like reading a newspaper, a real newspaper. I kind of like traveling to, the, yes. to see the spot. Well, there's so much to power of place. I mean, we we are definitely about accessibility, making sure that people can find their history wherever they are. But history is a place-driven, uh, you know, thing in a lot of ways, and 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 you get a lot by that actual experience that you don't get online. Um, And you're right, there are so many great aspects to Pennsylvania history. I mean, we are the Keystone State. We are, you know, geographically and figuratively the Keystone of the nation. We have incredible diversity here. And I think, um, you know, understanding the breadth of the history that we have here is really, really makes it intriguing and important. All right, I'm gonna put you on the spot. Mm -hmm. A place in history here in Pennsylvania Maybe not a geographic place, but maybe a geographic place that doesn't get as much attention as it should. Oh, gosh. There are so many of them. Um, You know, I think... uh if I'm picking, I'll, I'll go outside of our, our our sites and museums. Well, I'll start with one of our sites and museums, Ephrata Cloister, a okay. great story about tolerance and uh, individuality and community and, and a great place to talk about civic life. Uh, you know, Conrad Beisel uh, went to Ephrata to sort of remove himself from the society and, you know, had freedom of religious expression and and a community grew up around him. Fascinating story. Outside of uh, PHMC Sites and Museums, Hawk Mountain Sanctuary, fantastic story about philanthropy and conservation and uh, important environmental history. Rachel Carson was there, uh, Resley Edge, great women's history as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, F. Cloister will mention one of the state historic sites that is free to visitors this Sunday. That's correct. Just one of them, and you can find the list. We'll put it on our website as, as, as well. So, David Carmichael, let's talk about the charter itself. I have been to the State Museum a couple times on Charter Day, and I can picture you standing behind the charter, <laughs> people asking questions, and you pointing things out. First of all, what makes the Pennsylvania Charter, the Charter for Pennsylvania, unique? It is definitely our birth certificate as a colony and eventually as a state. Um, It is unique, I think, in one sense because of what was driving it in William Penn's mind. Uh, We were just mentioning Ephrata, and, you know, Penn really wanted to establish a place where people were free to worship and did not have to worship according to what the state told them to do. And, um, in fact, he tried to get into the charter a provision that would guarantee the freedom to worship, um, and he didn't get it. But in 1682, the very first law, the great law, uh, the very first article in that law guarantees the right to worship as you see fit. And so I think it's unique in that sense. It's unique in many ways, but it's unique in that sense, certainly. 
I did not realize until I read a biography a few years ago, one that the book is on sale, I know, at the State Museum, uh, about William Penn, that how Quakers were persecuted, I mean, to the degree they were persecuted in England, and, I mean, William Penn was in prison, like, four different times. Um, But, you know, there wasn't, when when Pennsylvania was established, didn't establish the official religion as Quakerism, it was, as you just said, freedom to worship as you please. Correct. And and it, it leads me to one of the interesting things about the charter, in my opinion. Um, because he was a Quaker, he, he, was, he practiced humility in a very conscious way, and uh, he did not want the colony to be named for him. And, uh, and he was afraid that people would think it had been named for him when it was called Pennsylvania. But it was actually named for his father, uh, Admiral Sir William Penn. So it was named for William Penn, but not the William Penn we think about, right? And uh, his fear was, he, he argued with the, with the king about this, or the king's counselors about this, that if you name it for my father, everybody will think it's named for me. And of course, he was right, because we all think it was named for him. Uh, but we, we actually have a draft of the charter in the state archives that was finished just a couple of days before the final version. And when it comes to the name of the colony, it's, it was left blank because as, as late as that, they didn't know what they were going to name it because they were still arguing over it. Uh, but the king insisted. And so in that draft, someone came back later in a separate hand, you can tell, and wrote, it shall be called Pennsylvania. Never heard that story before. That I mean, that must be. Is, are there other big differences between uh, the draft and and the final document? No, this draft was only a couple of days before the final, so there was it was pretty much finalized by that. But they still hadn't settled the name yeah. at that point. See, nowadays we'd have a contest to name the state, and uh, <laughs> who knows what it would be called? Who knows? <laughs> who actually wrote the charter? Well, the the clerk who wrote it was named Pigott, P-I-G-O-T-T, and it's the only signature on the charter, in fact, uh, which is a little unusual. Clerks did not normally sign their their documents. He was actually the clerk of patents for Charles II. The king does not sign patents and and land grants. Uh, He seals them, and so there was originally a very large wax seal on the charter. It was hung from a ribbon. Somewhere along the way, it was lost. And, and if you look at the charter, it appears that in the 1830s, when the state decided to display the charter, they cut the bottom off of each of the four pages. Why not? Uh, either because they had <laughs> frames that already fit it, or uh, because the space they were going to use wasn't tall enough for the documents. I don't know. State budget problems, <laughs> even then. Even then. Even yeah. then. And, and no state archivist to throw his body ah. in the way and, and keep it from happening, I'm afraid. Uh, so anyway, the seal was lost probably at that point. But what you can see is the seal would have been in a metal box called a skippet. And you can see the rust stains from the, the skippet on there. So we know that's what was there. And we have a reproduction of that seal that was actually made by uh, the, the king's uh, record office. The, the people who actually do make the seals made us an official copy of one. So we have a, a copy to show. I, I'm learn- I thought I knew some things about the Pennsylvania <laughs> Charter. And I'm learning so much just on this program today. And I know our listeners are as well. 
Sunday is Charter Day in Pennsylvania. The 1681 Charter will be on display at the State Museum in Harrisburg. Our guest today, Andrea Lowry, Executive Director of the Pennsylvania Historical Museum Commission and State Archivist David Carmichael. Uh, David, we were just talking about the Charter itself. You know, 1681, I always wonder, how do you preserve, how do you keep a document that old Obviously, in the 30s, they didn't think as much about that, but uh, how do you make sure that this document that is for over 400 years old, how do you preserve it? It is amazing to me, every time I see it, that it did survive as long as up to our time. Um, the, the Penn family actually built a strong room in their London home to contain their most important legal documents, including the charter. And uh, it must have leaked like a sieve because the charter has water damage on it. So the the deterioration began at that point. But I've probably told you in the past, it is on parchment and we think it's sheepskin and, and parchment the, the sheepskin always wants to go back to the shape of the sheep. And, and so that's a, a difficulty when you're trying to preserve a, a document like this. Um, it has survived this long, and nowadays we keep it in a very strictly controlled temperature and humidity environment to keep the par- parchment from fluctuating in any way. Um, and we only bring it out once a year because it's so fragile. Uh, you know, the iron gall ink that they use to write on the parchment just sits on the surface. It doesn't soak in like it does on paper. And so it can flake off. And um, so that's one of the reasons we only bring it out once a year. Just even moving it to the museum from the archives can jiggle that, that ink and create problems. <laughs> Andrea, speaking of archives, uh, we will have something new here in Harrisburg. Talk about uh, the new archives. Oh, my gosh. This is so exciting. Um, so we have our, under construction right now a new archives building. Uh, it's going to be 145,000 square feet, uh, have a public search room, and a, a large warehouse behind it uh, with uh, environmental conditions that are will be just right for preserving the 250 million documents that David and his staff were tasked with care- taking care of. 250 million documents. Indeed. It's a lot of documents, but this is document number one. The charter is document number one in, in our minds. But we do care for 250 million and increasingly for digital records. If you think that a, a paper document or a parchment document is hard to keep alive for three or 400 years, try to keep a Word document alive that long. Uh, the hardware and software changes so rapidly that it's really difficult to do. So we are working on our first digital archives so that we can preserve the digital records that are worth preserving in the, the Commonwealth. Do you have any floppy disk? Uh, we actually still find them sometimes yeah. in state agencies. Is there a move, or has this happened, where some of those historic documents are digitized? We have 21 million digitized records online okay. already. And the good news about agencies creating records digitally is we won't have to take pieces of paper and scan them in the future. We'll receive them in digital form, and then we'll be able to put them online that way without the interim step of actually having to run them through a scanner. Um, but again, it's a, it's a big challenge for us, and I've got a good staff who are up to the challenge. So, Andrea, who decides what is historic and should be preserved? 
Oh, this is uh, so. I guess <clears throat> we we have a variety of uh, uh, bureaus that deal with different types of things. So, for example. Um, the State Museum and our Historic Sites and Museums obviously uh, determine what they collect. David's uh, operation is really focused on government records. Um, you know, it, it certainly State Historic Preservation Office looks at buildings, you know, and there's the National Register. Uh, really, it boils down to significance and, uh, and age is really uh, what determines whether something is historic. We have, you know, in this case, William Penn's charter, which founding document obviously very significant very old we have uh more recent documents uh the governor's records from recent administrations uh police notes from 9-11 significant events that which were on display at uh, the state museum right uh, you know have evident uh value uh, almost immediately but certainly david can talk a little bit more about the specifics of how the archives goes about their particular <laughs> aspect of this work. If, if you think of it like in your own home, the things that you preserve tend to be either documents you might need legally for a very long period of time, um, sometimes documents that told you how you did something and you don't want to have to figure it out again in future, so you keep that document. Um, or you keep the, rec the documents that mean something to you personally, the photographs and such that, that mean much to you. We basically do the same for the state. We go into the state agencies, we look for the things that they're going to need again in the future, things that have great legal value. You know, the charter itself still has legal value after 342 years. A couple of years ago during Charter Day, I talked to an attorney and she said, when I'm tracking for mineral, mineral rights, I often trace the property clear back to the charter, which is really the fountainhead of all property pretty much in Pennsylvania. So we're always looking for legal documents. We keep all of the acts of the legislature, uh, anything like that. And it is 250 million documents, but we've been collecting for 342 years. So it's not a huge percentage. Mm. The Andrea, let's talk a little bit about the, the historic sites mm -hmm. on uh, Sunday. Uh, it does not cost a lot to get into these uh, places to begin with, but it is free on on Sunday. Do you, on charter days, do you see um, increased visitation from the public? We do see a bump in visitation on charter day. Uh, it's free. It's also, you know, at the beginning of spring, people are eager to get out and do something after winter, which has not been, as you mentioned, much of a winter this year. No, it's year. still cold. Uh. Um, but yes, but uh, we do see a, a bump in visitation. And we certainly also, because we're offering special activities across our sites and museums. Um, so for example, we'll have the sawmill running at Daniel Boone Homestead. Uh, we'll be uh, at Graham Park, one of our sites uh, out in um, Horsham, they'll be giving a free cupcake to the first 100 visitors. Uh, I hope that's a newly baked cupcake. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and, and at the Joseph Priestley House, we'll be celebrating Joseph Priestley's birth birthday as well as Pennsylvania's birthday. Joseph Priestley, what was the significance of Joseph Priestley? Oh, gosh. Uh, so he was an English clergyman and uh, someone who was a political theorist, and uh, he was a scientist, uh, really did a lot of experiments in chemistry, noted for uh, discovering oxygen. You couldn't see the air quotes there. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, he really was, he, 
loomed large in American history. Even though he came here after many of his discoveries, he was in uh, close correspondence with many of the founding fathers. Yeah, see, I brought that up because Joseph Priestley is probably not one of those well-known names in Pennsylvania, but uh, whenever I travel through uh, Sunbury and Sealance Grove and up in that area, I see signs for the Joseph Priestley house, and I've always wanted to, to stop in there. Have a listener who just sent a kind of comment said he's reading the book Killing Great Britain, not specifically about Pennsylvania, but since so much of importance happened in Philadelphia, learning an awful lot of stuff about Pennsylvania, especially Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin seems to be, there seems to be uh, renewed interest in Ben Franklin nowadays, too. Maybe has something to do with the Ken Burns film a few years ago, but uh, I don't know. I've just seen more with Ben Franklin. Yes, he definitely has uh, has has made a resurgence. Um, there was an article just in the Enquirer, maybe it's a letter to the editor about you know how he embodied so much of what we admire, um, and and you know had just was such an influential figure in early America. Mm. We only have a minute left. I want to thank uh, both of you for being with us today. So, Andrea, why should Pennsylvanians take advantage of Charter Day on Sunday? Oh gosh, it's a great opportunity to get out and uh, experience Pennsylvania history, uh, whether it's at one of our sites, whether it's coming down and seeing the charter, the founding document, um, it's a chance to connect and learn something new. 30 seconds or less, David. Uh, I can't read that writing, on the, so I'm glad that you're there, too. How do you do? How do you read that writing? Because it's a 400-year-old document. Well, I've also read the transcript that we have, so you, that's the easier ah, way. Ah, okay, so Online. more secrets Online. are coming out. <laughs> Andrea Lowry is the executive. Executive Director of the Pennsylvania Historical Museum Commission, and David Carmichael is a state archivist. I want to thank both of you for being with us today. Happy Charter Day. And to you, thank, thank you, Scott. Scott. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Spark on WITF, your home for NPR and discovering all things local. I'm Scott Lamar. Have yourself a great day.